Thank you, Haley, and congratulations to all of those that are graduating from high school and, and college, and I know that is a big accomplishment for you. Look forward to seeing the video here in just a few minutes, but uh, good to see everybody else that are here, especially those who may be our guests. Thank you for being a part of our services today uh, here at First Baptist Church. We've been going through 2 Corinthians over the last several weeks, and I ask once again that you turn there, 2 Corinthians chapter 8. And we've made our way down to verse number 10. We're in part two of a three-part series in the middle of 2 Corinthians on the joy of generous giving. We looked at it last week at the first nine verses in the first part of the joy of generous giving. And we'll do the second part today and then the third part uh, next time we meet together. So 2 Corinthians chapter 8 verse Uh, 10. I want to go all the way through chapter 9, verse 5. It's a lengthy text. I don't want to read it all as an introduction, but we'll walk through this text and see what the Lord has for us this morning. But I want to read the first couple of verses uh, of our section this morning. So chapter 8, verse 10 and following. Paul says to the church of Corinth, "And and in this I give advice. It is to your advantage not only to be what you, not only to be doing what you began, And were desiring to do a year ago, but now you also must complete the doing of it. That as there was a readiness to a desire to it, so there also may be a completion out of what you have. For if there is a willing, first a willing mind, it is accepted according to what one has and not according to what one does not have. For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but by an equality. That now at this time your abundance may supply their lack. That their abundance also may supply your lack. That there may be equality. Several years ago, I was in a pastor preaching conference. It was really an evangelism conference. There was about uh, six or eight preachers that, uh, that were preaching, not, not at this one part of the service, but the part that I had gone to, there were two preachers. There were two preachers that I uh, loved dearly. One of them is Junior Hill, and the other one is Bob Pittman, and Bob Pittman's actually going to be doing our revival uh, in August of this year. But I wanted to go and to hear, uh, hear them. I just I love to hear them preach. They are uh, two great guys in ministry. I had been to this conference before, and the one who was heading it up uh, was a great man of God. He did some things a little bit differently than, than I did when it comes to, to taking up the offering for the conference. But I was there in that conference and heard a great, great message. Now, I know you remember every single message that I preach. I mean, every single message I've ever preached, you remember that. I don't remember every single message I hear. Uh, but I remember this one, where Junior Hill preached on the greatest preacher who ever lived. And he took a text out of the gospel where Jesus called John the Baptist. There was not a, no, not a greater prophet born among women than John the Baptist. And he walked through John the Baptist's life and gave principles of what made him one of the greatest preachers, the greatest preacher to ever live. The spirit in that convention, that conference was, was thick. Uh, they did not offer an invitation, but I'm I sure if they did, somebody would have gotten saved or some preacher would have repented, and even and myself, it was just a very convicting sermon. And immediately after the message, and everybody was kind of getting their thoughts together because we had just experienced 45 minutes of the Holy Spirit of God coming down on our hearts, uh, the gentleman got up and said, now it's time to take up the offering. And he went, it seemed like, for 20 minutes describing and um, 
I, I, I use the word begging because I think that's what he was doing. Uh, asking that those who were there would contribute because of the expenses of the conference. And then he said something like this. He said, you know, for every person who gets saved in my ministry, there's $43 given. He said, in other words, every $43 that was given, somebody gets saved, he said, in my ministry. Now, I don't know about you and how you can relate to that story, but every ounce of the Spirit that was on my heart that day just got squashed. Because as he stood and he asked every person in that room, you need to give $43 to ensure that somebody would get saved because that's what the average was. And as the people prayed and as the offering began to, to be passed, I was prepared to give. And I don't know if what I did was right, but I let that offering plate just go right past me. And I didn't give a dime. I may have been out of the spirit. I may have done something that was inappropriate. But what crushed my spirit is when somebody told me, this is what you need to give. And every ounce of the spirit left me. Whether you are a preacher or a Sunday school teacher or a father, a mother, a deacon, we do not coerce people to give. People give because of an internal devotion that's in their hearts. And what Paul is trying to get across to every person as we read this together is that giving is something that someone does in their hearts. It's what somebody does in their spirit. We learned last week, if we're not careful, that we will feel like we want to give our way into heaven. That we, if we give enough, that God will let us into heaven, and that is a false view of our relationship with Christ. That giving is not some external uh, appeal, but it's, it's an internal. It's an internal devotion. Now, as a pastor, we give opportunities, and it's our responsibility as leaders to, to present to you opportunities to give, and you have been found faithful to do that. But giving is a matter of the heart. So the scripture says in verse number 10 and following, he says, and in this, I give advice. So here are some sound principles to the joy of being a generous giver. And he gives them these in the next 15 or 20 verses. He says, in this, I give advice. It is to your advantage, not only to do, not only to be doing what you began and were desiring to do a year ago. But now also you must complete the doing of it. That as there was a readiness to desire it, so there also must be a completion out of what you have. So the first thing I want to share this morning about the joy of generous giving, the sound principle, is that giving is an attitude of the heart. I mentioned that it's, a, it's an internal devotion. But giving is an attitude of of the heart. You remember the verse we read last week in verse 3 of chapter 8. The scripture says, I bear witness that according to their ability, yes, and beyond their ability, they were freely willing. They had the right attitude when it came to giving. Biblical stewardship does not pressure people into giving. Biblical stewardship involves that inward devotion of the heart. Biblical stewardship is an overflow of the grace of God in your life. 
So therefore, it doesn't need to be coerced. It doesn't need to be uh, uh, pressured because of what's going on in your heart. You have a desire to give. The Bible says back in verse 10, I give this advice, it is for your advantage, which means it's your advantage to, to give generously and, and to give sacrificially. Paul is just piggybacking on what the church said they were going to do about a year ago. You remember the context where the church of Corinth, which is a church that had the supply, that had the resources, said a year ago, we want to give to the church of Jerusalem. But over this past year, some of the false teachers had got into the church and said that Paul was not a real apostle, so they withheld their gift. But now the relationship between Paul and the church has been restored. So Paul is simply saying, hey, fulfill what you, what, what you desired a year ago because there's a need in the Jerusalem church. And you said you were going to do it. So here's an opportunity for you to give out of an attitude of your heart. So giving is an attitude of your heart. Verse 11 it says, but now you also must complete the doing of it. You said you were going to do it. Just fulfill the completion of what you're going to do. That as there was a readiness to desire it, so there also must be a completion out of what you have. It's not easy to carry on things to completion. Have you ever said, I'm going to give, but you didn't? We all have. And we've all come up short on certain things and Paul is simply saying hey I know your desire is there just complete what you've said what you're if, if your attitude is in the right place then just fulfill what's inside your heart he says if you there's a there's a desire to do it so you also may have to complete what you have many times there's a start in our giving but oftentimes there's not a completion and what Paul is saying is, is that attitude that's in their heart develops a lifestyle of being a generous giver. The last part of verse 11 says, So there also may be a completion out of what you have. For if there is first a willing mind, it is accepted according to what one has, and not according to what one has not or does not have. That last phrase right there where you give according to what you have and not what you do not have. You're to never go in debt when it comes to your giving. You are to never to borrow in order to give. That's contrary to what it means to be giving. And Paul is saying here, he said, I'm not asking you to give what you don't have. He said, you have the resources. You have the blessings. You have the attitude of heart because we learned last week that they first gave themselves to the Lord and then to us by the grace of God. So Paul is simply saying, give out of your resources. Give by what you have. If there's a willing mind first, which is what we read in verse 12, then the giving will soon follow. If there's first a willing mind, it is acceptable to God for believers to give, and even sometimes even to give beyond what was even expected. So you ask the question, well, Brother John, what's expected? You hear things like a 10% tithe, or maybe you hear a free will offering, or you may hear this, or you may hear what, what according to the Scripture is, is right for a believer. Maybe you just got saved, or maybe you're getting back in church and you're trying to figure out where do you start? What's acceptable to God? The first thing I want to base that question on is Jesus is not concerned about an amount. Jesus owns it all. He owns the cattle of a thousand hills. He owns every single dime that's in this world. He owns it all. He owns everything that you have. 
And he's just blessed you with the responsibility to give back as a measure of faith and an attitude of the heart. So he's not concerned about, hey, you need to get to this point in your life and, and make sure you give, if you give uh, 10% or 15% or 20%, you're, you're super spiritual. That's not what he's concerned about. He's more concerned about your heart. But also believe, according to Scripture, as you look in the Old Testament, that the standard for uh, followers of the Lord in the Old Testament was the tithe. But when it comes to giving in our life, I think for a believer, a tithe is a good place to start. But it's the, end, it's the beginning. It's never the end of life. But Jesus is not concerned about an amount. It's not something that you are legalistic about or you, you check off a box and I've done this. It's what's in your heart. And it's what God has placed in your heart. Some of you left a tithe a long time ago and God has blessed you because of that. And you have given not according to what you do not have. You've given by what you have and what the Lord has blessed you in. So it's a prayer concern. It's an attitude of a family. I encourage husbands and wives to sit down and pray together and ask God to reveal in your heart in the area of giving. It's an attitude of the heart. Jesus is not so much concerned about an amount as he is about your attitude. If the attitude of your heart is in the right place, you won't be concerned about an amount. You're going to try to give everything you can to the Lord. That's the way it works because of what he's done in your heart. But not only is it an attitude of the heart, but number two, it's a platform. It's a platform for being mission-minded. A generous giver offers you a platform to be my, to being mission minded. Look at verse 13 and following. But I do not want, do, I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened. He says, but by an equality that now at this time your abundance may supply their lack. That their abundance also may supply your lack. That there may be equality as it is written. He who gathered much had nothing left over, and he who gathered little had no lack. A generous giver gives you a platform for being mission-minded. What Paul is saying here in verse 13 and following, he says, I don't want to put the burden on you. He says, but you have a surplus, and they are lacking. What's interesting about this text, and the reason why I put in there mission-minded, is that the church of Corinth was a Gentile church. This was a church made up of people who loved Jesus, but there were no Jews in the church. The Jerusalem church was made up of primarily Jews. Now, apart from a saving relationship with Christ, Jews and Gentiles do not get along, even in the church of Corinth's day. But because of the grace of God had fallen on the church of Corinth, and the grace of God had fallen on the church of Jerusalem, they looked past uh, uh, racial differences, and they, they looked past their, their ethnicity, and they gave not based on what somebody looked like or how they spoke. They gave because there was an opportunity to be mission-minded. Missions knows no skin color. Mission knows no ethnicity. Mission knows no socioeconomic background. The gospel of Jesus Christ knows two types of people, lost and saved. And the Gentile group, the Gentile church is reaching out to these Jews who were, uh, who, and it was an example of them being mission-minded. He says in verse 14, but by inequality... That now your abundance may supply their lack. That, that one day you may be in need. Their abundance one day may supply your lack. That there may be equality in the kingdom of God. And he gives a quotation out of Exodus 
Chapter 16, verse 18, he who gathered much had nothing left over, and he who gathered little had no lack. It talks about the context when the manna fell down uh, to, the, to, the, to the nation of Israel, and some gathered a lot, some gathered little, but they all gave together, and nobody was in need, nobody lacked. And the same thing here is when, here it is when it comes to the kingdom of God. I, I have been so... Um, blessed to be your pastor in so many different ways but one of the the marks that I will remember uh, in the short time that I've been with you was our business meeting a couple of weeks ago several of you were a part of it maybe you've heard after that but I, I kind of knew the, the, uh, the, the agenda. I kind of knew what was going to be talked about so I was already getting a little bit excited about some of the things that were being presented but one by one we heard from our not only our finance committee but also our missions our missions committee, our missions team, opportunities to be mission-minded. You may not have heard yet, but do you realize that you, First Baptist Grenada, we are in the church planting business? That we have invested in a church called Mercy Hill Church, which will soon be planted in the growing area of East Olive Branch, Mississippi. A young man named Lawson Harlow, who you may know, who was a former staff member of our church, has, has took a step of faith to go and to start this church in August and September. He is starting with two members, he and his wife, no resources at all. And he's uh, praying and God is opening up doors for him where he's currently at right now in this church planting internship in Hernando. But when that opportunity was presented to us, I knew that our church was willing and I knew that desire was there. So on that night, just a couple of weeks ago, we voted not only to be a, a financial partner with this church, but also to contribute in so many other ways if those doors and those opportunities arose. Looking past our needs and looking at needs that are out there. It may be Guatemala. It may be Training Pastors International in Central America. It may be the Grenada Police Department where we recently gave a donation to help with some, some supplies to teach children about safety. It may be purchasing Bibles for, for Guatemala. It may be meeting our goal for Annie Armstrong. It may be even meeting our own general budget offering. All of that has taken place because of the giving that's inside this church. I encourage you and I continue to, to, to present opportunities as a pastor but also use all of our committees that God is using each one of you and He's given us a platform to be mission-minded and a platform to look beyond our walls and to see where our supply can be used for those who may be lacking. It is fun. It is fun to be mission-minded and to be able to give and to be able to see what God is doing through our church. Verse 16 and following, let me give you the third one. Not only is giving, joy of, joy of generous giving, an, an, an attitude of the heart, it's a platform for being mission-minded. But number three, it calls for gospel accountability. Now I want you to see this. Generous giving calls for gospel accountability. I want to read 16 through 24. We're going to look at this section pretty quick. I know you're thinking, Brother John, you got 12 verses left, and you got like eight minutes left. Uh, I'm going to go quick. I have no clue what time it is, but we're doing good. Verse 16, listen here. Verse 16 says, Thanks be to God who puts the same earnest care for you into the heart of Titus. Paul says, this ain't just my idea. Hey, Titus is just as excited about this gift as you are. He says, he not only accepted the exhortation, but being, but being more diligent, he went out to you on his own accord. Hey, Titus is coming, and I didn't tell him to come. He's going after the gift and the blessing that you have to be able to give to the church of Jerusalem. He's just the middle person. There's that gospel accountability. Verse 18, and we have sent him 
The brother whose praise is in the gospel throughout all the churches, uh, that brother there is, a, is an unknown name. We don't know who that name is. There's good uh, uh, opinions there, but we're going to call him the unnamed brother because that's what the scripture calls him. Verse 19, not only that, but also chosen by the churches to travel with us with this gift which is administered by us to the glory of the Lord himself and to show your ready mind. He says, avoiding this, that anyone should blame us in this lavish gift which is administered by us, providing honorable things, not only in the sight of the Lord, but also in the sight of men. He says, Titus is coming, who who you respect. Titus was the middle one who brought repentance from Paul in the church. Titus was that that key in there. In verse 22, we've sent them, our brother whom we've often proved diligent in many things, but now much more diligent because of the great confidence which we have in you. If anyone inquires about Titus, Titus, Paul says, he's my partner. He's my fellow worker concerning you. Or if our brethren are inquired about, they are messengers of the churches, the glory of Christ. He says, therefore show to them and before the churches the proof of your love and of our boasting on your behalf. What Paul says in those six or eight or nine verses is that when it comes to giving and being a generous giver or, or giving of a gift, gospel accountability. Paul has been accused of many things in here and he says, I want you to know that when we take this gift, that it's not just mine. Even though Paul being a Jew, he said, I'm not just going to help uh, uh, Jewish people just like me. He says, Titus is going, he's on board. The unnamed, uh, 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 the unnamed uh, disciple, the unnamed person is coming with us. He said, this is an accountability process. We're going to make sure that the gift, Corinth, that you give, there's accountability with that. And we go and we give it to the church of Jerusalem. Anytime somebody gives a gift, whether it be in a church or somewhere or other platform, there has to be gospel accountability. You have to know that when you give a gift that those that you're giving it to are good stewards of the gift that you give. There's great responsibility in our church when it comes to a, a finance committee and those that are in charge, maybe in a missions committee when they present things that are, that, are, that are monetary in nature, that there's accountability that we do and they do with the gift those that have been given. When it comes to missions, that we get it off to missions. When it comes to uh, Annie Armstrong, we get it off to Annie Armstrong. When it comes to just general offerings, that we look for opportunities, open doors that God gives to be able to give. I believe there's great accountability in all of that. Then he says in verse 24, Therefore show to them and before the churches the proof of your love, a loving church is a generous church. How do you know that you're involved in a loving church? I don't know of a Christian on this planet who doesn't think they're a part of a loving church. Everybody says. You go talk to your friends and maybe, we, maybe you've been there, I've been there, and, and, and all, all, you know what's about to break loose in that church? And they'll say, but I love my church and we have one of the most loving churches in the world. Now we fought last week at our business meeting, but we have such a loving church. Everybody thinks they have a loving church. But a proof of a loving church is the grace of God in your heart, the attitude that pours out to give. How do you know you're in a loving church? You've got to be a generous church. We have generous the gifts that God has given us to be it to be a blessing to others. Then number four in the last one. The joy of generous giving is an attitude of the heart. It's a platform for being mission-minded. It calls for a gospel accountability. Number four, it provides an opportunity to be a blessing 
God, give us opportunities to be a blessing to those who don't know Christ. Verse 1 of chapter 9. Now concerning the ministering to the saints, it is uh, superfluous for me to write to you. For I know your willingness about which I boast of you in the Macedonians that Acacia was ready a year ago. And your zeal has stirred up the majority. Yet I have sent the brethren, lest our boasting of you should be in vain. He says, I, I'm sending the brothers just to make sure that what you've said will come to, come to play. The blessing that you've said will, will, uh, will, will, will definitely take place. Lest if the Macedonians come with me and find you unprepared, we, not to mention you, should be ashamed of this confident boasting. Therefore, I thought it necessary to exhort the brethren to go to you ahead of time and to prepare your generous gift. The word gift there is the word for blessing. It's where we get our word Eucharist from. Beforehand, that blessing beforehand, which you had previously promised, that it may be ready as a matter of generosity, a matter of blessing, same word again, and not as a grudging obligation. Paul is saying, look, all this has taken place because of the gift that you said you were going to give. He said, I want to give you the open door to be able to give it. But I want it to be from your heart that is loving and not from a grudging heart. I don't want you to feel guilty when we show up and you're unprepared and you have to hurry up and take up an offering and to be able to give. He said, we don't want to do that. We want when the people come... For you to say, we give this gift, and it is a blessing to be able to give. And I pray God would multiply it to the church of Jerusalem. And whatever shape, form, or fashion he desires, use it for your honor and use it for your kingdom. That phrase right there, the grudging obligation, next time we get together, we'll talk about how we give is a cheerful way, not in a grudging matter. So he picks up what we're going to see next time we come together. So the Bible says, provides an opportunity to be a blessing to others. Paul is not concerned about their gift. He's concerned about their heart. He said, I want to make sure that you're not giving grudgingly, but you're giving out of love and you're giving out of a matter of generosity. Readiness to give is a confirmation of the salvation of your soul. Readiness to give is a confirmation of the salvation of your souls. Giving is no sign of grace and redemption. It saves no one, nor has it ever saved anyone. But the giving of the redeemed is the response to the grace of God in our life. Look back up, if you will, in verse 9. Chapter 8, verse 9. This is where I'll close. This is where I'll close last week. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, yet for your sakes He became poor, that you, through his poverty, you may become rich. A question to you this morning is, do you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Do you have that attitude of someone who has repented of their sins and have been redeemed by the grace of God? That, 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 that salvation that God has given you, have you been redeemed? Do you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Before any type of, of, of anything else in your life, especially when it comes to your finances, the first thing the Lord's worried about is your heart. So do you know the Lord?
In just a minute, we're going to have an invitation. And if you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I encourage you to come. And by you coming, you're saying, Pastor, I'm repenting of my sins and I want to trust in Jesus. I want Him to be in control of my life. And we want to give you that opportunity here in just a second. Believer, what about you? Are you a generous giver? Say, Brother John, you know, you don't know my... no, No, see, what we've learned the last two weeks has nothing to do with our circumstance. It has to do with our hearts. Are we a generous giver? Have we given God control of our finances in every aspect of our life? Because it's an attitude of the heart. Those who have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb will show with the heart of generosity. Whether it's generosity of love, generosity of grace, generosity of forgiveness, or generosity of finances. Any part of that, and God can work through all of that. But have you given God control of that? Maybe through the text this morning, a lengthy text, God has spoken to your heart and revealed to your heart where maybe you need to just pray, maybe with your spouse, maybe with your family, and say, you know what, God needs to take control of our finances. There are those in here today, and probably the majority, that are struggling when it comes to finances. And you don't know maybe where you want to turn next or where the next check may come from or where, how all these things are going to take place. The good thing about your father, and the good thing about our father, he owns it all. And he can take care of you. Would you give it to the Lord? Just give it to him and say, God, this is, I'm going to be faithful with what I have and not what I do not have. I want to be faithful with the blessings that you've given me. So Lord, I just pray you take control over all of that. Lord, I love you this morning. I ask God as we have a time of invitation, Lord, there are those who need to come and to give their life to Jesus. They need to repent of their sins and trust you, Lord. So as as the seed has been planted, God, may you send the harvest. Lord, there may be others that uh, that need to be a part of this church through, uh, through promise of a letter from neighbor church or through statement or baptism. God, however, however you've called, Lord, may they be obedient to you. Lord, when it comes to our church and every member of our church, I pray that each one of us can say, because of the attitude in our hearts, that we are generous givers, that it's not about an amount, it's about the work of God in our hearts. And God, I know when you work inside our hearts, that what overflows will never even be comparable to what comes inside. God, I thank you for your blessings Thank you for what you're doing here at First Baptist and the doors that you're opening for us to walk through and to be gracious and generous to so many. God, continue to open those doors for us. Continue to make us obedient in all that we do in Jesus' name. Let's stand and sing.